So as I said, we'll be uh, looking at the first 10 verses of Matthew 28. I think this is probably only going to take two weeks to get through. And then we'll be done and then we'll go from there. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, read. Uh, Later on, I will need a couple volunteers to read some verses. Um, So real quick, um, eh, I'll uh, I'll ask for volunteers once we get there. But uh, I'll go ahead and read Matthew 28, the first 10 verses. We have here verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel, but the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see, where the, uh, come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then he said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So as we, as Dave finished chapter 27 last week, we have Jesus, it was the last part of 27 was buried in the tomb and the seal was placed around the stone and there was a guard uh, set in front of it, armed guards, so the disciples couldn't come and steal the body away. So let's just give a little background and text of Christ's resurrection because obviously all four gospels go in depth different points and in different places of Jesus' resurrection. Each gospel differs slightly in the details that they give regarding the resurrection of Christ. The uh, New Geneva Study Bible, which is the Bible I have, makes note that though they all differ slightly, they all agree that Christ rose from the dead. They don't go into detail of how he rose from the dead or the way in which he left the tomb. So there is a ubiquitous consensus among all four gospel writers that Jesus did rise from the dead. Now, we are not given the privilege or the detail necessarily of how Jesus rose from the dead. We see later on that obviously the tombstone was rolled back from the front of the grave, but we're not given the the intimate detail of exactly when Jesus rose from the dead and how he rose from the dead and where he went. That's just kind of a mystery that the Holy Spirit did not give to us. He did not give us the privilege of being able to see. Now, another thing we need to notice here at the beginning of chapter 28 is the role that women play in the resurrection of Christ. We see this is important because some of Christ's best friends, as we've seen throughout Matthew, have been women. Mary, Mary Magdalene, the uh, uh, Salome, as we see, I think, in John, who was the mother of uh, James and John, the, the sons of thunder, and also Mary, his mother. She was frequently uh, with Christ. So we see really the importance of women 
in this time of Christ. The first people he revealed himself to were these women here, not the apostles, not to other men, but to these women. I think that's really fascinating to think about. And think about this also. Who stayed with Christ until the end? Who was at the foot of the cross? Obviously, we know John was there because Jesus said, you know, woman, Mary, behold your son. But who were the vast majority of people that were with Christ until the end? It was these faithful women. And we have here that Jesus is going to appear to them first. And not only would, uh, were they at Jesus' uh, death, but they were also at his burial. They were the ones that went and anointed Christ with all of these spices and fragrances. And actually, as we see here in the first verse, as the week began to dawn, the other women went to the tomb to finish up the burial process and anointing more fragrances upon them. And, you know, we have the other 11 disciples. Who really knows what John was doing at this time? It doesn't appear that he fled. But the other 10 disciples, at the end of Matthew 26, it says they forsook him and fled. All the guys, they were out the back door, but we have here these faithful women staying with Jesus all the way until it appears to be the end. And what's also uh, fascinating about this is in antiquity and in Israel at this time, the word of a woman was not highly sought after. And that's just not an opinion of historians, but you know, you see Josephus in his writings says similar Uh, The Talmud, which was written about 400 years later, but reflecting back upon this time in Israel, even in the ancient world, the word of a woman was not sought after. You know, in a lot of criminal cases, really, they wouldn't take any, any word of a woman. It didn't mean much to them. What we have here is that the Gospels... If they were going to be faked, if they were going to be, uh, if they were going to tell lies, they wouldn't necessarily have it to where women are witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Because women's words were not taken seriously. The only way that the writers of the gospel put these women in here is if it actually happened. If it didn't happen, you wouldn't put a woman in there for her words because they wouldn't have been believed. Just something to think about. So we have here in the beginning of verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So it appears there was not only these two Marys, but there were some other women that were there with them. And that's not a contradiction. That's just leaving out detail. And that's often, as we'll see here, as I said earlier, that these Gospels, they'll leave out detail. And a lot of people will go and say, well, that's a contradiction. Well, it's not a contradiction if you leave out detail. That just was not the specific intent and purpose of Matthew of putting in the rest of these women, or Mark, or Luke, or John. We'll see it time and again where detail is put in and detail is left out. Now, again, we have uh, have the Sabbath. The first day of the week began to dawn, and they came to see the tomb. Now, this is uh, perhaps early in the morning, as early as probably 4 a.m. in the morning. So these women were up and at it. Perhaps they didn't even go to sleep the night before. But we have the end of the Sabbath and the first day of the week. That is, excuse me, Sunday. Now, I want to just pause here for a quick second and look at the Sabbath because I think we all take for granted, you know, what the Sabbath is as we consider it Sunday. But how did how was was there a transition from the Old Testament Sabbath, which was Saturday, to the New Testament Sabbath, which is Sunday? And I think we all take it for granted, and we all consider it so basic 
that sometimes we miss the details of why we celebrate the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. And obviously, the given answer is Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But you also see in Acts where the Apostle Paul was meeting with the brethren, and it says, on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, that is Sunday. And you see that reoccurring theme throughout the New Testament where the church is meeting on Sunday. You also see in uh, Revelation where John, it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. That is Sunday. And that's where we see the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is why we have Sunday as our day of rest, because Jesus arose from the dead on that day. And that, uh, the exact verses were Acts 27, with Paul meeting with the brethren on the Lord's Day, and then Revelation 1.10, point of the Lord's Day, being on Sunday for Christians. So, back to the text. Sometime a little before sunrise, the Marys in Salome, that is James and John's mother, came to finish the anointing of Christ in the burial tomb. They are concerned that the stone will be in front of the tomb still, and they will need someone to open it for them. Now, what do we see here in verse 2? And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now, this is the second earthquake that Matthew gives account of in his gospel here in Matthew. It could have been a local earthquake, it could have been a regional earthquake, but nonetheless, this earthquake is given, a great earthquake actually is given at the announcing and the dissension of the angel out of heaven. And what do we have is that the angel came and rolled back the stone from in front of the tomb so the women could go in. And again, as I said before, the Gospels don't give us detail how Jesus came out of the tomb. Uh, We'll see in uh, John 20 later on where... Uh, Jesus supernaturally went into the midst of the disciples. So it's not hard to imagine that Jesus left the tomb, him being God in his resurrected body. But the reason that this angel comes down and opens up the tomb is not to let the body of Christ out, but it's an eyewitness detail to let the women and the disciples later on to go in and see that the body is not there. Matthew is the only one to record the angel descending from heaven and opening the tombstone. Now, as I was reading through this, it almost appears that there could be a break from verse 1 now down to verse 5. And the reason I say that is it doesn't necessarily appear in the other Gospels that the women saw the angels descending. This could have been from the perspective of the guards at the tomb. And as we see here in verse 4, it says the guards shook for fear of him and they became like dead men. So this may have been from the perspective of the guards, seeing this actually angels, plural, because in, Luke, uh, in Luke, uh, Luke's account, we see that there was two angels. So you see the angel descending, rolling back the stone, and this could have been from the guards' perspective, but Matthew's just given us a little detail of how the angel came down from heaven and rolled back the stone. And he sat on it. And we have here in verse 3 that the angel's countenance was of heavenly beauty. Uh, Luke 24, 4, we see, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And that was when the women went in the tomb. 
we're given this insight of this heavenly creature in beauty, in white, in power. And I think uh, what came to mind was Revelation uh, chapter 2, where Jesus, or, or, uh, Revelation chapter 1, I'm sorry, where Jesus, or, uh, Jesus appears before John in this heavenly beauty. You know, he's got white hair, power, and majesty, and he's just, he's just clothed perfectly. And imagine yourselves, if you're these guards of these tombs, and you look up and you see this angelic being descending from heaven in this pure clothing. I mean, you, you would have to be scared to death. Now, the guards shook like dead men in, in verse 4. The guards shook like dead men. And uh, what's interesting here is going back to verse 2, behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, you may not get this at first, but think, what is, what is the word we often use for earthquake? What measures an earthquake? Yeah, or a seismograph, I think, is, is what they always use. And uh, MacArthur in his commentary pointed out here, and that, that is correct too, Tom. That is correct, or Richter scale. I didn't even think of that. But a seismograph, I believe, usually measures the earthquakes, or, or it's something associated with earthquakes. But uh, MacArthur in his study Bible or in his commentaries pointed out that the word for earthquake in in verse 2 is the same root of this word shook in verse 4. And it's S-E-I-O in the Greek. And what's also fascinating about this is some other words like seizures, you know, signify a shaking. You know, an uncontrolled shaking of sorts, something that you're completely powerless against. As the uh, angel was descending in, cha- in verse 2, you know, the earthquake, you can't do anything about an earthquake. There's nothing that man can do to stop an earthquake. And so, too, in, in verse 4, it appears that these guards shook for fear of him. There was nothing that they could do. They shook in complete and utter fear for what they saw. Uh, and then... Uh, kind of an equivalence is Daniel 10.7. If you remember, Daniel was at the side of the, I believe, Ty- uh, Tigris River, Euphrates River, which one uh, Babylon is next to. And it says in Daniel 10.7, Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a dread, or a great dread fell on them, and they ran away and hid themselves. And we see this theme over and over in Scripture. Anytime anyone sees the presence of an angelic being or the presence of Christ, think of the Mount of Transfiguration, there is great fear and awe. And I went back and looked at Exodus uh, 19, where Moses is up on the mountain, and when God descends himself on Mount Sinai, what does it say? There's lightnings, and there's thunderings, and there's smoke, and there's a great earthquake, And the people hid themselves and said, you know, hide us from the face of the Lord. Over and over we see that theme in the Bible. The presence of the holy, even in this angelic being, these guards were like dead men. They fell over. They they, they didn't know what to do. Complete terror came before them. And uh, before we continue on, if anyone has any comments or questions, please uh, go ahead and say so now.
Yep. Yeah. Very good. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a tangent with women, but, you know, you see in the modern feminist movement, you know, there's liberation and, you know, uh, not having families if you're a lady, you know, being your own, you know, superhero, you know, making your own money. But it's kind of interesting. I've seen a lot of articles lately where there's a lot of feminists who are in their late 40s, 50s, and 60s now, single. They don't have any kids, and they're looking back upon their life, and they're like, well... What the heck was the purpose of it? And uh, but I think Christianity for a man and for a woman is, is just, it's brilliant how God, you know, put us together uh, to be one. And uh, if you go back and look at Matthew, oftentimes Christ will address women as like woman. Now, if I go up, you know, to my mom and say, woman, you know, go do something for me, she'd probably slap me in the face. But not so in Jesus' time, you know, that was actually an affectionate calling. That's not what a man usually called a woman back then. That was affectionate, and that's what Christ was doing. He was a, affectionately showing compassion to these women who were a very big part of his ministry. So if no one else has any comments, uh, we'll go ahead and continue on. Verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. And the reason I think there's a break between verses 1 and verse 5 is we have the details in Luke where the women actually go into the tomb itself and they see the angel sitting there. So I think this may be where the angel is sitting inside the tomb and the women go in. And you can imagine these women. They see these angelic beings, probably not as much as the guards, but nonetheless they still were frightened when they walk in and see not only the body of Jesus not there, but these two angels sitting there. They had to have had fear. And what does the angel say? For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The angel knew exactly who these women came to see. They came to see where Jesus' body lay. The angels, plural, calmly and clearly explained to the women what happened. In verse 6, I think this is a pivotal verse in all of Scripture. The angel says, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. What a glorious hope that we have. He is not here. Where is he? If he stopped there, did someone steal his body away? Where is it at? But what does the angel say? For he is risen. He's risen from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. He conquered death. He rose from the dead. He is not here. And what does it say? The angel says, as he said. And I think, let us go back here real quickly and uh, read a couple of verses. Uh, does someone want to read Matthew 1240? Uh, Matthew 1621. I need someone to read those two verses. Or if two people want to read them. 
Someone want to read Matthew 12, 40? Yeah, go ahead and read that, Josh. Thank you. Anyone have, <coughs> excuse me, anyone have, um, <coughs> sorry, 1240? Thank you. We have, again, another time Jesus prophetically describing what is going to happen here. And then, uh, Lastly, does anyone want to read Matthew 17, 22 to 23? I'll go ahead and if someone's looking that up, I'm going to read Matthew 20, 17 to 19. And Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. On the way, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Again, Jesus describing in intimate detail what is going to happen. And does anyone have Matthew 17, 22 to 23? Go ahead, Bryce. Thank you. And as you see in this example, the disciples were greatly grieved of what was going to happen. And there was some grief in it that Jesus was going to die, but they didn't understand it. And even think on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus appeared to Cleopas, who that's the only mention of that gentleman's name in the Bible. That is the only time where uh, Jesus appears to them, the two, and he's expounding the scriptures. And they're sitting there as they're walking with him. And they still don't understand that it's Jesus. And what does it say at the end of the story? Jesus opened their eyes after he had left so that they could understand what they had seen. So even here, after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples still don't fully comprehend the words that Jesus said, probably just months before. And I'm not saying that we would ourselves, but... It's just fascinating that Jesus described in intimate detail throughout his ministry what was going to happen, and yet they still could not understand the full purpose of it. So on uh, verse 6, he is not here, he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. So we're given the detail in Luke where the women go in and they see where he is laying. Come and see you want proof he is not you want proof that he's not here? Look where he laid. He is not here. Verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. The angel then instructs the women to go and tell the disciples what they have seen in the tomb. Tell them that Christ is risen. And will be going to Galilee. Verse 8. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to bring his disciples word. Verse 8. The women then race and go tell the disciples 
There are a few places that describe the encounter of the women and the disciples, but Luke makes mention of a funny moment. Luke 24, 11. You don't have to turn there. But this is when the ladies, as they, again, remember, the word of a woman was not greatly sought after of in first century antiquity. Luke 24, 11. Luke records this. And let me start in verse 8. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. In verse 11, I, kind of, I find kind of funny. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So the angel instructs the women to go tell the other disciples that Jesus is not in the tomb. And as I just said before, the disciples did not believe. They thought these women were crazy. What are you talking about that Jesus rose from the dead? That's a tale. I think a similar encounter is we'll see later on in Acts 12, where Peter is thrown in jail. And in verse 1, it has where the church is praying for the release of Peter. And there was a great earthquake, and Peter came out of the jail. He goes back to the house, and a little servant girl opens it, sees Peter, and she goes and tells the others, and they thought it was just the angel of Peter. They couldn't believe that Peter was actually standing there. And I think the similar situation here is they couldn't believe that Jesus was not in the tomb. That can't be. That's not possible. So the women, they don't believe the women, but we'll see a little later that, of course, Jesus makes himself known. And as uh, I continue on, anyone have uh, anything to add? All right. Now, what I wanted to do is, this always helps me to put stuff in chronological order. Because, you know, going back and forth between all of the Gospels is, it is difficult. And um, so, I took the courtesy of stealing it from someone. Why come up with something yourself when you can just go and take it from someone else? Uh, Courtesy of the MacArthur Commentary, he lists really in order the steps in the uh, place of Jesus rising from the dead. So I have all of it. If you're interested in it, I can give it to you afterwards. I won't write all of it up on the board because it is quite a bit. But we have here in order these events. So this is how it first started. The women go to the tomb and they find the stone rolled away. They enter the tomb and they don't find the body. That's found in Luke 24, 3. So the women obviously were the first ones there. And then Luke records angels appear. So there were two angels. Matthew only records one. Again, that's not a contradiction. But Matthew's point was not to talk of two angels. It was just to signify that there was at least one angel there. Angels appear. And then uh, that was Mark 16, 5. And then the third step angel who spoke reminded them of Jesus' promises. That is in Luke 24, 6 to 8. The angel reminds, again, uh, the women of Jesus' promises, as we looked at, uh, recorded in Matthew. And then we have number four. The women go and do as they're told from the angel. The angel tells them to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is not in the tomb, that he is risen. And then as we looked at it in Luke 24, 11, what does it say? The disciples receive the word of the women, and they're skeptical. They're skeptical of what happened. But nonetheless, 
listen here, in, in step number five, but they still ran and went to see if it was true. Peter and John ran to see if what the women said was true. And I have to think, and John, I think we're all familiar with what's going to be said here, is when John is writing this, he always, you know, reminds us that he's the one whom Jesus loved. I don't think out of pride, but I think out of just a flow through the story. But as John is telling this, uh, this story of when Peter and John go to the tomb, it says that he beat Peter to the tomb. Almost like a secondary, yeah, I was faster than Peter. I made it first to the tomb. I think there is some comedy in that. But nonetheless, they were skeptical of the women, but nonetheless, they went and tried to find out to see if what the women said were true. Now, interestingly enough, that though John went to the tomb first, Peter was the one that first went in to the tomb. So maybe John was a little scared. I don't know. Maybe he was waiting for Peter to get there. But nonetheless, Peter was the one who first went into the tomb to see if Christ's body was there. And that's in John 24. And what do they see? They find that the linen is intact. Proofed Christ was risen. That's in John 26. And then, key point here, is they then left. They then left the tomb. I don't really think it's specific where they went, but they left the tomb. And then this is an important one. Mary Magdalene, after she tells the disciples, Peter and John, she returns to the tombs, or to the tomb, I'm sorry, and the angels ask her what is wrong. And she explains what is wrong. They've taken my Lord. I don't know where he is. And that is recorded in John chapter 20. And then all of a sudden, we have the first appearance of Jesus. It's to Mary Magdalene. And what, what does she think at first? She thinks that he's the gardener. She doesn't recognize his countenance, his difference in his physical attributes. She thinks he is the gardener, and she's explaining to him what's wrong. They've taken his body. I don't know where he is until, if you go to the account in John 20, what does Jesus say? He says, Mary. He calls her out, and the tune and the voice that she was probably so well familiar hearing, she says Mary, or he says Mary, and she recognizes her Lord. And the last one, Christ's first appearance after his resurrection was to a woman, amazingly enough, and Mark confirms this in Mark uh, 69. So just Mark 69 confirms that Jesus first saw Mary Magdalene. Now, some of you may know that the last verses of Mark after verse 8, so 9 to the end of the chapter in Mark 16, there is some controversy because those verses aren't necessarily in some of the earlier Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. There's been a lot of back and forth. Some of the early church fathers didn't see any of the early text of Mark. They didn't see those verses in it. And some scholars think... Actually, probably the consensus opinion is that these verses, uh, 9 to the end of the chapter of Mark 16, were actually added afterwards at some later point, kind of to finish it up. But uh, MacArthur said that doesn't necessarily mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think they give us some important detail. But just something to consider the next time you're reading Mark. Now, 
Uh, as I continue on, uh, the last two verses, anyone have anything to add as we'll uh, finish up here real quick? Yes. Yeah, well, that's that's why I, I'm not a, I'm not. Well, that's why I think verses two through four are actually uh, just kind of an insert. What is a, a parenthetical thought? Is that the proper term? This is just the eyewitness account of the soldiers. So it may actually not have been that the women saw the angels descending from heaven. This may have just been a parenthetical thought that Matthew put in here just to prove that the angels descended from heaven and rolled back the stone. Anyone else have any other thoughts? I guess not. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, but I, I do think that verses 2 to 4 are a parenthetical thought in Matthew 28. So as we uh, continue up here real quick, verse 9 uh, and 10, I'm going to be honest. This verse, I, I looked at for about an hour and a half last night, trying to understand where this came into the chronological order of what was given. It was very difficult. I had to stop, go back, and take a break, then go back and look again. Because it says, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So we know that Christ first appeared to, <clears throat> excuse me, to Mary Magdalene, but it appears here that Christ first then appeared to all the women at once. Now, let me go ahead and read this. Uh, This is kind of just deciphering through. What it probably was is that the women saw the angels. They went and told Peter and John. Then Peter and John went to the tomb. They left. Christ first appears to Mary Magdalene. Then in Matthew, Matthew 28, 9, it picks up again. And Christ then appears to the other women as they were going to tell the other disciples. So that's where I think uh, verse 9 and 10 don't necessarily flow with the whole story. This is, again, stopping, missing a period of time, and then picking up again. And again, that doesn't mean there's a contradiction. That just wasn't Matthew's purpose of writing this. So, then finishing up the, um, the categories, the chronological order... We have in Luke where Christ then appears to the two men, as we said, to the road to Emmaus. And then Luke 24, 34, he appears then to Peter. So that was the the finishing up the uh, chronological order. And again, if you want that in more clean detail, I can give it to you if you you have any interest. So then picking up here again in verse 9, Jesus says, rejoice, which was a greeting or greetings. How are you doing? He says this to the women. And notice what they do. They came and held him by the feet, and they worshipped him. Again, this is confirmation that Jesus Christ affirmed his deity. What is the difference between Christ and all of the Old Testament prophets? Is yes, the Old Testament prophets would do miracles, but none of them claimed deity. While Jesus Christ did miracles, and he claimed and accepted worship. He accepted the worship here of these women. I can't think, uh, but this is just a taste of what someday our first entrance into heaven will be like. You know, 
Jesus greeting us as we take our last breath and go into heaven, rejoice or greetings or how are you doing? And then we sit there and worship at his feet for an indescribable amount of time. I've said this before, but I saw a picture of really almost a pagan view of what heaven looks like. It said the first meetings in heaven and it's people meeting their dogs, people meeting other relatives. That's, that's not anything what heaven's like. Kind of detail in, in the Bible is maybe we'll recognize one another, but really the importance in heaven is us prostrated before Christ, worshiping him forever and ever. Who knows if we'll be able to recognize anyone. But the importance is our worship, like these women, of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And then finishing up here, verse 10, Jesus says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren. So he's telling them not to be afraid, which I'm sure they were afraid. And he says, go tell my brethren. And note here, after all that transpired over the last three days regarding the betrayal of the disciples, what does Jesus affectionately call them? My brethren. Notice the forgiveness that though the disciples have betrayed Jesus in his greatest hour of need, he says to the women, go tell my brethren. Jesus is receiving them back. He knows exactly what they did, but he is bringing them back into the fold. And the women go, and they fetch the disciples and tell them to meet before Jesus in Galilee. Now, we see in John twenty nineteen to 20 that he actually didn't meet the disciples first in Galilee. This was actually way sooner where he met the disciples. And let me, as I finish up here in the last couple of minutes, John twenty nineteen to 20, we have, so it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus told the women, Go tell my disciples I'm going to be in Galilee. But he, he makes better on his promise that very evening of his resurrection in a room somewhere in an undisclosed location, when the door is locked, Jesus supernaturally enters in to the, to the room and he shows his presence to his disciples. And notice here too, is Jesus gives proof of his resurrection. He shows him his hands and his side. Proof of his resurrection. And you'll see in John 20 where Thomas actually wasn't here at this time. And it was actually a full eight days later that Thomas would see Christ first. Eight days. That's pretty remarkable. And then, obviously, we have the account of Thomas giving Christ his acclamation of deity, my Lord and my God. We have here in John 20, the disciples then rejoiced to see when they saw the Lord. And as we close up here, he, uh, again, at the Mount of Transfigure, or I'm sorry, at the Mount of Ascension, as we'll see next week in Matthew 28, go to Galilee, and there they will see me. We'll finish up next week, and we'll see where Christ is then ascended to heaven. So I finished two minutes early. If anyone has any comments or questions, you can see me afterwards. Thank you.